This is The Doctor Is In, your bi-weekly podcast that discusses all things technical and not so technical. The Doctor Is In podcast is produced by ARRL, the National Association for Amateur Radio, and sponsored by DX Engineering, helping you shrink the globe. See their website at www.dxengineering.com. And now, here's your host, QST Editor Steve Ford, WB8IMY, and the doctor himself, Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Hello and welcome to The Doctor Is In. I'm Steve Ford, WB8IMY. And I'm Joel Hallis, W1ZR. Let's talk traps, Joel. Okay. I'm not going to accuse you of entrapment. (sighs) I've got to stop with the puns. They're just not working well. (laughs) But really, many people don't know what a trap is, and they're unusual devices in their own way, aren't they? They are. Kind of clever, I think, and very straightforward. Basically, a trap consists of a parallel connected capacitor and inductor. Now, as uh, everybody should know, that makes a parallel resonant circuit, or sometimes called a tank circuit, that has a very high impedance for current going through it from one side to the other at its resonant frequency. You can almost say it acts like an insulator. Now, that's just what you need at the end of an antenna as an insulator. So, a trap acts like an insulator at that particular frequency and it, it goes it's wide enough so it can mm-hmm. act that way across a band so if you have let's say a 10 meter antenna and you put a, a dipole a 10 meter dipole and you put a 10 meter trap at the end of each side you can extend wire beyond it and the 10 meter dipole won't know that the wire is there because it's on the other side of what it thinks is an insulator it's almost like a switch it is, well it is yeah it's yeah a good way to look at it it's a frequency selective switch. Yes. So if you have enough wire to make the total length a 15-meter dipole hanging beyond the 10-meter one, the antenna on 15 meters, the trap will look like an inductance. And that acts like a loading coil that makes it for a slightly shorter 15-meter antenna. And so on 10 meters, it just sees the 10-meter part. On 15 meters, it sees the whole antenna, works as a 15-meter dipole. And you can keep doing that. You just have to start with the highest frequency in the middle. So the other signals can get through. You can have multiple bands on one dipole with just these traps. So in other words, it's a plastic uh, PVC type tube with a capacitor and a coil inside it that is acting as this tuned circuit. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely right. Yeah, sometimes the coil is is wound on the outside of the PVC and the capacitor's inside. Sometimes the capacitors are getting harder to find than they used to be. It used to be mica capacitors were used. There are some high-voltage capacitors that are available that'll work. And it used to be you could buy these traps. There was a company that made traps. Yes. Unfortunately, they no longer do that. And to my knowledge, there is no other company that's come in to replace them as a trap provider. And they had a design in which the capacitor was actually formed by two pieces of aluminum tubing with plastic in between mm. them and another piece of plastic around the outside. That served as the capacitor and the coil form for the coil. But there is hope. A number of manufacturers provide trap dipoles, and I suspect they will provide replacement parts if you called them up and said, can I order a pair of 10-meter traps from your whatever model dipole? They would probably be happy to provide them to you. I don't know. I've never tried that, but I can't see why they wouldn't. Well, you know, you used to see quite a few trap dipoles for sale and not so much anymore. Why is that? I I have no idea. Something changed, apparently, in the technology. Maybe it's because uh, with antenna tuners remotely or in the station, you can have a multi-band dipole without traps. I don't know. That's true, and that may be a big part of it because... 
When we were starting out, coax-fed antennas were everything, and that's sort of leaned you towards a trap dipole if you wanted multi-bands on a single antenna. Nowadays, with the center-fed ZEP and window line and a tuner, you don't need traps. So what's the trade-off here? Well, A, the, the <laughs> trap dipole doesn't need an antenna tuner. Right. Except you have to be careful about that because all dipoles, unless they're fancily designed, as we've discussed in a number of places, will not cover all of 80 meters mm-hmm. without doing something special. If that doesn't change with traps, it's still the same problem. But all the other bands, pretty much the HF bands, will work on uh, trap antennas without a tuner. I guess I have to say 10 meters, you may have trouble making it work on the HF uh, single sideband portion and the FM portion. Yeah, that's true. But if you're doing one or the other, it's not a problem. Uh, and most people use 10 meters for HF, CW and single sideband use or AM. So, you know, the, what, what's the uh, trade-off here? Well, with the trap dipoles, you can use coax feed, which is good, except, of course, it does have more loss than window line. You don't need a um, antenna tuner, but the traps themselves add some weight. They add a failure mode component to the antenna, m- multiple ones of them. And, uh, you know, you get uh, some critters living in the middle of your trap, and uh, it probably won't I've work, heard for, of that. work yes. very well. Or water getting into the water, trap. Water is not good. Uh, yes. You have to design them carefully so the water can run out, just like uh, other things. But otherwise, it's pretty straightforward, and it's easier than some other kinds of multi-band dipoles, like the um, popular arrangement with multiple Parallel dipoles, parallel connected dipoles. Now, the venerable fan dipole, yes. Exactly, for for different bands. And that can work well. The the trap dipole tends to have a wider bandwidth and is less critical once you get it set up to cover the whole band. It also doesn't have the problem that the fan dipole has is as you raise it, it always invariably seems to wrap itself around itself and make a big tangle up there. Whereas this is all one single wire with lumps in it, which is a little easier to deal with. The other nice thing about it compared to a center-fed ZEP is, and this depends on your interests and desires, center-fed ZEP uh, uses the whole antenna on every band which means on the bands at which it's longer than a half wavelength or longer than a full wavelength. Instead of having a two-lobed pattern, it has more complex lobes in different directions, which means you can't talk to the same people on uh, one band as on another sometimes. Now, that can be good if you only have one antenna and you want to talk to different directions. You say, well, to work that DX station, I need to wait till they're on 17 meters, but to talk to this one, I can work them on 40. I've made use of that over the years. It's not a big issue in a way. On the other hand, if you want to talk to the same stations on a regular schedule, uh, you will find you can't necessarily go from band to band as well. True. So, so it's a trade-off. You know, and, and in a way, the, the center-fed ZEP has the advantage that you're using the whole antenna, so you have some gain on the higher frequencies that you don't get on dipole. So a, a trap dipole acts like a single-band dipole on each band. It also has the disadvantages that the, uh, the traps do have a little bit of loss due to the circulating current at the resonant frequency that makes it act like an insulator. And then on the other bands, you have wire resistance and the inductors that uh, add to the loss. The loss is not that high, and it probably is comparable to the loss in an antenna tuner that you would use on the center-fed ZEP. I've seen traps in some vertical antennas, and of course you see them in tri-band Yagi Yep. Antennas. People, though, sometimes even in the advertisements uh, for other types of antennas will say, no lossy traps. Is, is the loss really that bad? I don't think so. It's very hard to measure. I, well, it's not hard to measure if you have an antenna range. You put up a full-size Yagi without a trap, and you put up a trap Yagi and measure. And particularly on the lowest frequency band at which the traps just act like inductors, loading inductor, it, it shouldn't be very lossy. It will be somewhat lossier on the higher frequency bands where you have 
the resonant circuit operating. And then you have the circulating currents between the inductor and the capacitor and the trap that, depending on how much loss is in the inductor, have to have to use up some energy. And, but I don't think it's it's a lot. And everything I've seen makes me think it's on the order of less than a dB for a pair of traps. But who knows? That certainly provides a lot more radiated signal than just a dipole without traps, for example. So, you know, you get the benefit of three-element Yagi more than, than outweighs the you know, loss of the traps, I would think. I had a friend some years ago who insisted on running his amplifier into a trap dipole that was not rated for that amount of power. Mm. The, the result were pretty spectacular. The trap, one of the traps, actually caught fire, believe it or not. It actually burned, flame, smoke, the whole thing. Uh, so that's a consideration, I would imagine. Yeah, capacitors have a voltage rating, and uh, you have more power than it's designed for. You'll exceed the voltage rating, and the capacitors will arc over. And the RF, instead of circulating, will be focused there and, and uh, <laughs> can easily cause a fire. I, I can imagine that. So if you're thinking of investing in a trap antenna, you need to be careful and look at the power rating and make sure it's compatible with your station. Absolutely right. Yeah, that's true of most things. Well, that makes perfect sense. Let's take a break for DX Engineering and we'll be back. I'll be here. Ever talk to a salesperson who didn't know the difference between a rotator and a rotary phone? Or a Yagi and a yo-yo? Or a ballon and a ballerina? You'll never have that problem with DX Engineering. When you call us, you'll talk directly with knowledgeable amateur radio experts, people who speak your language. When you contact DX Engineering, you're dealing with operators who are as passionate about the hobby as you are. This means better service, expert technical advice, and a commitment to your complete satisfaction, even long after your purchase has been made. Whether you're newly licensed or a long-time operator, you'll always find a friendly ham who understands exactly what you need on the other end of the line. Plus, you'll find a huge selection of amateur radio equipment, get the fastest shipping in the ham universe, and shipping is free on most orders over $99. Let's talk about your station. Visit us at dxengineering.com. That's dxengineering.com. And we're back, Joel, with a question from Jeff, WB2JNA, and he's asking, is it legal to transmit digital signals from your computer speaker or earphone output into your microphone to your transceiver? No interface, just the computer talking, he has that in quotes, into your mic, making sure no other noise gets transmitted as well, of course. Some people seem dead set against it, but I've heard it's fine as long as the signal is free of other noises. What do you think? Well, uh, there's no specific rule against such a connection. The rules rather specify what comes out of your transceiver going towards the antenna. Right. So it's a question of, of what comes out there and, and how you, you know, that relates fairly closely to how you generate it. The problem is digital modes are generally used within the CW portion of the HF band. What that means is that any extraneous sounds that reach the microphone will be illegal there. That would include somebody talking, you know, supper's ready. Yes. <laughs> and or uh, music playing. Or, or music yeah. playing. Yeah, that's illegal no matter what. cat yowling. Yeah, yes, all those things. <laughs> if you could really keep all other signals and noises out of there, there would be no problem. It wouldn't be noticeable. And I guess I have to say that it wouldn't be noticeable if your transceiver is properly aligned. There you go. So that you don't have spurious signals that you generate all the time that you don't notice when you're using voice. But generally, it's it's very hard to do that. You know, the furnace starts, the vacuum cleaner goes by, the cat meows. 
whatever. So there's no specific rule against it. There is a specific rule against spurious responses. Yes. You're not allowed to do them. So, you know, I, I, I guess I, I'm not sure exactly why you'd want to do that. There, it's usually not very difficult, in my experience, to run an off-the-shelf audio patch cable from a line-out connection at the computer sound card to a line-in jack of the radio and avoid the issue entirely. Now, not all transceivers have a line-in jack, so the mic jack can be used, but that usually is designed for a lower level signal than comes out of the sound card. So you've got to make sure that you can adjust the level or put in some attenuation so that you don't overdrive the mic input. Otherwise, you'll end up in the same place making spurious signals of a different kind due to overloading. <laughs> so you've got to watch that. And if you don't have a line-in jack, you can avoid having to switch cables and have a provision to make the adjustments um, by purchasing a sound card interface box. These are made by a number of manufacturers. They provide connectivity to both your mic and your sound card and generally support transmit, receive, switching, and level adjustments. Just make sure you get one that is designed to work with your radio's mic connector and wiring. While many radios have 8-pin round microphone connectors, there are at least three different wiring arrangements for them. And so make sure you get one that matches your transceiver. Same for the um, modular ones that look like a uh, Ethernet connector. Yes. There are different arrangements for wiring them. So that's very clever. The manufacturers cleverly made it hard for us to just have one accessory that'll work with all transceivers. Instead, you got to get one that has the connector that fits your transceiver. So just be careful about that. And that makes life very easy. You don't have to think about it. Once you have it set up, it's good and it'll work. I used to do that. From a legal standpoint, audio is audio. However it gets into your radio, uh, whether it's through the mic connector, through the accessory jack on the back of the transceiver, or as Jeff says, uh, with just a what I guess you would call an acoustic connection, yeah. as you point out, as long as you don't have spurious signals getting in there with it, there, there really isn't a legal issue as such. But you're right. Uh, going the interface and hardwire route is far superior. Yeah. It's fine to say that you don't have spurious signals, but I don't know how you guarantee that. No, not at all. I mean, in the early computer... Uh, remote computer days, we used to use acoustic couplers back before the phone company agreed to let people hook to the wires. Oh, I remember those things. Yeah, yeah you actually took the, the handset and dropped it into a, a, a coupler of sorts. Yeah, exactly yeah. like Jeff describes. But you didn't have a legal issue there. You 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 know, if you put a little audio on the phone line, that phone line was used to that, so it didn't have a problem. Yes. But here, you get uh, things you don't want have happening. Absolutely. Thank you much, Joel. My pleasure. If you have a question for the doctor, email us at doctor at ARRL.org. The Doctor is In podcast is sponsored by DX Engineering at www.dxengineering.com. Background music provided by Purple Planet at www.purple-planet.com. This podcast is copyright ARRL. All rights are reserved. Until next time, I'm QST Managing Editor Becky Schoenfeld, W1BXY, 73, and thanks for listening.